Hey, it's Abby here. We do talk about suicide in this episode, which I know can be distressing for um, a large amount of people. Pause the episode now to check our show notes for helpful resources. Every single solitary person listening has the power to impact their world for good. But each and every one of them has to bring their own uniqueness to it, their view of the world, their thoughts, their feelings, their observations. If you try to be someone that you're not, you're not going to bring that amazing gift that only you can bring to the world. In Your Element is a teen-hosted podcast covering conversations with our allies. I'm your host, Abby Jones, and I get to chat with some of the most inspiring educators, creators, and changemakers reflecting on their teen years, what makes them feel the most in their element daily, and things that they wish they had known as a teenager. This podcast is a sister organization with The Element Collective. The Element Collective hosts virtual and in-person workshops providing mindfulness, movement, creativity, fun, and other tools that high school-age girls need to love themselves, own their authenticity, and tap into who they truly are. More approachable than traditional group therapy or school clubs, Element Collective founders Mary Allard and Kylie Roswell base their approach on the five elements and create a safe and playful environment for girls to connect with themselves and others. Because when each of us are in our element, magic happens. If you're interested in being a part of any of the Element Collective events or joining our Element community, like me hosting this podcast, or even Gabby who produced the music that you're hearing now, you can follow this podcast wherever you listen, connect with us on Instagram at Element Collective, or check us out at elementcollective.com. That's E-L-L-E-M-E-N-T Collective. So I am super excited to get to talk to you. Um, you work in philanthropy and neuropsychology, right? Well, I don't work in neuropsychology anymore. My, that's my background. Okay. Um, but I work in philanthropy. Yeah, I run a foundation. And one of the things that I get to do for the foundation allows me to do some work in neuropsychology still. And that is that I, I convene a mental health consortium of people statewide who work on advocating for mental health and behavioral health legislation. So we're passing legislation to get better access to mental health and behavioral health care. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So what does philanthropy and neuropsychology mean for you? Because those are are big words, and I don't think everybody knows what that is. (laughs) That's a great question. So my favorite thing to tell people about philanthropy is that the original word in the um, Latin and in Greek both means the love of humanity. Mm. And so for me, the work that I get to do in philanthropy is help people who have the means. I, I work connected to a large family foundation, and I get to basically help them make decisions about where they fund their money in the state, where they make their grants to help organizations that are doing really important work. And, and basically, I think it is an exercise of loving humanity, of loving humankind, of just doing what's right for society by the philanthropic dollars that we invest in the community. So that's the philanthropy piece. Yeah. Neuropsychology, then, is the study of the intersection or the relationship between how we think, feel, and behave 
and what's actually happening in our brain with the physiology, the anatomy, and the chemistry of the brain. So it's it's observing behavior and thoughts and feelings, and then taking a look at how those are affected by and affect the chemistry of our brain, the anatomy of our brain, the structures of our brain, and the, um, the physiology of our brain. And there really is a relationship back and forth between those two. How we think really affects how we feel. How we feel really affects how we think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a simple idea. I mean. <laughs> it, yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so what drew you into wanting to study something so, I mean, it seems so complicated when you like first think about it. What drew you into that? I mean, I think I was initially very interested in psychology, obviously, you know, the way people behave, the way people think. Um, I was very interested in how different kinds of trauma affect people. And then I wanted to learn more about kind of how it affects the brain. And the more that I learned, the more interested that I got, you know, curious that I got. And I just really believe that we, we as human beings have a great power of agency, if you will, over the lives that we create and, and how we make our life based on, like I said, how we think, how we feel, the decisions and the choices that we make with our behavior. And to me, that's fascinatingly creative. I mean, if you talk about being a creative person or you know, someone who's an artist or any other creative endeavor. I think just being a human being in this world is an incredibly creative endeavor because we're always creating the world around us by the choices that we make. Yeah, (laughs) that's such a good, I don't know, I love that, that being a human (laughs) being is just creative in and of itself. And it's a really creative endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. We're always creating. I love that. Yeah. Um, So... You mentioned being really interested in trauma and how that affects the human brain. And I, because my mom and you are friends and have worked together, I know some of your personal story. But for the listeners who don't, what has trauma meant to you and why is this so important to you? Yeah, um, I had a very happy and very healthy and very loving childhood. So I, you know, I graduated from high school, not really thinking there was much trauma per se in my life, but I lost my parents in a car accident when I was in my early twenties. And so that was sort of the first really big awareness of an unbelievable trauma in my life. I mean, to go from, you know, early, early stages of that launching phase of life, you know, post-college, um, trying to figure out who you are and grow up to be completely without my parents was a really, really difficult time to lose them. In the course of the next like 15 years, 20 years, I lost two family members, my husband and a stepson to suicide. So our family's known an awful lot of loss. So I just have a deep abiding curiosity and passion for how people find their way through those kinds of losses, how people deal with trauma and loss and just how extraordinary resilient we are. I have surprised myself with resiliency. My son, who's now 21 and suffered those very same losses, is an incredibly resilient person. And I think that even beyond the field of neuropsychology, I'm personally so curious about, you know, the power of the human spirit to survive things and to not only just survive them, but to really create, as we were talking about, a beautiful life, even in the midst of loss and trauma. I think we are extraordinarily resilient beings and you can exercise it. It's like a muscle. I mean, you really can learn to be more resilient. Yeah, that is 
obviously not an easy thing for anybody to go through, but I think it's so beautiful you saying to be able to survive, to not only survive, but to be able to thrive after going through something like that. How does one even manage to do anything after something like that? How have you been able to cope with your trauma? Because in situations like that, you can't just be like, well, neuropsychology explains. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not, yeah. it's not easy. It's not. You're exactly right. And none of those losses were easy to go through in any yeah, way. Uh, the first thing I would say is that you have to be present to them. I mean, you have to be real and honest about what has happened to you. Pretending, pushing it down, denying it never get us anywhere toward health. But the second thing is, is it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about us being incredibly creative beings and the act of being human just being a creative endeavor. I think that in order to survive any kind of trauma, what is so crucial to the process of dealing with losses and wounds and hurts and everything from physical trauma, emotional trauma, the loss of someone you love. But I think the really key thing is the personal narrative that you create around the trauma. So the message that you tell yourself about the thing that has happened to you, because that I think either empowers you to move forward, to integrate it into your life in a way that you can continue to create a beautiful life for yourself or to get stuck in that continuing trauma, re-traumatizing yourself even around the messages that you internalize about what's happened and what, what is happening to you and what continues to happen. And I just think we really have to take a hold of our thoughts that we actually have the power to be positive and proactive about what we're thinking and what we focus on. And then knowing that there's an actual feedback loop of the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system that as we think feeds back on us with emotions. And then we, we end up creating the cycle of what we experience in the world. So I think it's really behooves us to take some positive steps toward what we're thinking and what we're filling our mind with and what our personal narrative, what that inner voice is about. And one of the ways to make it as deliberately positive as you can, Abby, is gratitude. Mm. Gratitude is probably the most powerful thing any of us can engage in for our mental health and our well-being. Just, just every day, making something as simple as a list of three things that you want to be grateful for or doing something nice for someone else. These are just the tiniest things that we can do to shift what's going on in our body and our brain for our long-term well-being. Deep breathing is another thing. I mean, just the act of taking a really deep, slow breath absolutely changes what's happening in your brain, in the physiology of your body. It may not be that any of the circumstances have changed at all. But just because you took a really deep breath, your neurochemistry actually changes and the physiology of what's happening in your body with your heart and your blood pressure change. It's pretty powerful. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, so talking about gratitude and all these things has been a way for you to be able to love humanity and love yourself. Um, would you say that this is something that led you to get into philanthropy? Or was this already something that you did in your life? No, I will say that the journey of the very traumas that we've talked about, the loss of my parents and then my husband and my stepson, those were devastating life changes. Um, you miss them terribly every day. You ask yourself all kinds of questions about why, like my most of my adult life has been about asking myself these questions and being really impeccable about the way that I think and the way that I feel and the way that I behave. But I love the way you just said that. And that is that 
this journey that I've been on and all of these traumas have probably been part of what led me to work in philanthropy, to want to work in a field that allows me to have the privilege to learn about so many amazing organizations in our state that are doing the very things we're talking about right here, trying to help people be self-sufficient, trying to help people be strong, trying to help people have agency, trying to help people make positive choices and decisions in their life, trying to help people affect other people for good. I mean, it's just this wonderful wave of impacting the planet for good. I think that's probably why you and my mom are like each other so much. <laughs> Such a similar view on life of being able to take trauma and almost turn it into something beautiful and be able to care for others and make sure that others are able to cope with something like that in a better way. Yeah, that's beautiful. And what I, what I think is most important for every young person maybe listening to this is to realize that what you just described about your mom and I, every single person listening has that exact power. Yeah. Every single solitary person listening has the power to impact their world for good. Right. By the smallest things. But each and every one of them has to bring their own uniqueness to it. Their view of the world, their thoughts, their feelings, their observations, um, the way that they love uniquely that nobody else can love. If you try to be someone that you're not, you're not going to bring that amazing gift that only you can bring to the world, which is the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you behave. So what what would you say are ways that people can find those things and those ways that they can go out and help people in their own specific way? I think listening is a really good way. All of us have people in our life that we see every day that we interact with. And so I think trying to be a really active listener, asking a couple questions and then listening to what people are saying, you'll find really fast that there's someone in your circle who needs you to give them a shoulder, who needs you to provide encouragement, to share a smile, to put your arm around their shoulder. I mean, if we just listen to the people around us for a few minutes, we'll find that there's someone who needs something wonderful that only you today in this moment can give them. And then that, that ends up affecting you because yeah. again, you've done something nice for someone else, which changes your whole outlook on life in that moment. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about this many times before and my mom and I talk about it all the time is doing things for others always, it just makes you feel better. Like it yeah, just it creates does. that dopamine in your body. It does. That's right. Yeah. So I have one last, well, a couple more unrelated questions for you. Um, okay. What is one thing that you wish you had known when you were a teenager or if you could go back in time and tell your teen self some advice? What do you wish you had known? Well, <laughs> everybody always struggles with this question. It's a great, it's a great question. I'm actually, yeah. you've, you've really deeply moved me by asking me that question. I'm surprised at the emotional response I'm having to it because mm -hmm. the answer came to me instantaneously. I would have been more present to just how much I loved my parents and how much they loved me. I would have paid attention to every single day and every single moment that we had together because I lost them so soon. I just wish that I wish that I'd appreciated every second of them being in my life. And I wish I'd asked them all kinds of questions and soaked up every bit of wisdom that they could possibly give me because there's been a lot of years where there's been stuff going on in my life and there's been no one to call and just say, how did you deal with this? Or what should I do here? Yeah. I wish I'd appreciated every single second of their love and their presence. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you for 
sharing that. I think that's something that adults tell teenagers and children all the time. It's like, appreciate your parents and your yeah. grandparents right now. And teenagers are like, whatever, they're annoying. But yeah, hearing it from your perspective is very, very moving. Thank you for that. Yeah. Last question for you. Okay. Um, where can our listeners find more about you and the amazingness that you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, they can certainly find out more about the work that we do by either, you know, going to the Gazette Charities Foundation website or the Anschutz Foundation website. Um, and they can pay attention to what the legislature is doing and take mm. a look at what some of the bills are that we will be part of advocating for this year, the mental health and behavioral health. One of the bills that we were part of last year that came out of the work of our consortium that I'm incredibly proud of. And I know your mom was also very involved in helping support this. And that was the 1258. That was the emergency response mm-hmm. for um, youth to get them three free mental health visits out of the screening tool that was created by the I matter program. Yep. So, I mean, they can go to iMatter and take a look at it. And we actually have a piece of legislation this year that will extend that same program another year. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for talking with me and opening up and sharing these things. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for the invitation, Abby.